Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10am right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Well, I've got a question for you. Are you a morning person? I'm not. I don't like mornings. I don't reckon that before seven o'clock should exist. Yep, there's a few people there with me. Some people are best in the evening. I'm best in the evening. That's sort of when I sort of get my second wind, you know, after tea and I can go for hours. I'm a night person. I'm very happy to have a slower morning, but I pretty much always have energy of an evening. Nicky Gumbel, who wrote Alpha, is uh, pretty much the opposite of me, and he shares this story. He says, If I'm at my best at any time of day, it's in the morning. I wake up really early. I feel quite lively. But as the day goes on, I get tighter and tighter, and by 9 o'clock, I'm beginning to fall asleep. By 10 o'clock, I really want to be in bed, and by 11 o'clock, I'm asleep wherever I am. And I've always been like that. Even when I was a student, I was always in bed by 10 o'clock at night. And that's really sad as a student, he says. So I had a bit of a reputation at the university that I, that I was at for this. But what happened was this. Towards the end of my time at university, there was a May ball. And at this May ball, I met up with someone who I'd known a little bit before, a young woman about the same age as me. And we kind of got chatting and we started dancing. And kind of 11 o'clock came round and I didn't really notice. Two o'clock came, five o'clock came, seven o'clock came in the morning and we started playing tennis. I didn't even feel remotely tired. And word went around the university we were definitely going to get married. And we did. The point was, that I had fallen in love, Nikki says. My life was never the same again. The old life had gone, a new life had begun. And Paul, writing to the, uh, to the Christians in Corinth, he says this, those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, a new life has begun. In other words, he says, Relationships are really exciting. And the most exciting relationship of all is a relationship with God. He says those who become Christians, 
What does that mean? What, what, is, what does the word Christian mean? Well, the word Christian now has quite a negative connotation sometimes, but for people, it's quite a positive word for, for others. Some people think, well, Christian, that means a nice person. But does it? Because many atheists are extremely nice people, and some Christians aren't, but they wouldn't want to be known as Christians because they're not. Other people say, well, surely all Christians, we are all Christians because we're born in a Christian country. But being born in a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a McDonald's would make you a cheeseburger, right? That logic doesn't follow. So what is a Christian? A Christian is a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, how that happens varies enormously. For some people, like Nikki, there's that, they, that definite moment I mean, he can put it down to the 16th of February, 1974. Before that, he wasn't a Christian, he was an atheist. And then he became a Christian. And he's been a Christian ever since. For me, as you know, I don't remember a time when I have not loved Jesus. I've always been a Christian in my thought And I hope that all the kids in our church can have that testimony too because it's wonderful that that they've never known a time in their life when they weren't a Christian. Other people would say, well, I think at one point I wasn't a Christian, but I am a Christian now. I couldn't tell you exactly when it happened, and that's fine. Here's an analogy. If you're on a train or in a car from Melbourne to Adelaide, Some people know the exact moment that they cross the border and have to turn their clock back half an hour and 10 years. Some people, (laughs) others, might have fallen asleep. And so they don't know that. But what matters is that you know that you're in Adelaide. And what matters is that you know that you're now a Christian if that's what you would like. It doesn't necessarily matter that you can pinpoint the exact hour, time, day, location, but for some they can. And what the New Testament says is this, is that we can know that we're Christian. It's put like this in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received him, that's to all who received Jesus, to those who believed, in other words, those who had faith, In his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What John is saying is that there is the closest possible intimate relationship of love. This is what that is. The closest possible intimate relationship of love with Jesus Christ. It's like a child and a parent. In other places, it's talked about like a lover or like a friend. And sometimes the New Testament even uses the analogy of a husband and wife. It's that close. That's how close our intimate relationship with God can be through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're married, then you know that you're married. If you're a Christian, you can know that you're a Christian. One thing that some Alpha courses do is take a questionnaire at the end of the course And one of them asked this question, 
would you have called yourself a Christian at the beginning of Alpha? One person wrote this, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship with God. Another person wrote, sort of. Another person wrote, in inverted commas, Christian. Another person wrote, not sure. Another, ish. Another, yes, though looking back, possibly no. Now, if you know you're in a relationship, supposing you said to my wife, Kelly, Kelly, are you married? And she said, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship or sort of or in inverted commas or not sure or ish or yes, though looking back, possibly no, that'd be a bit weird, right? Because God wants you to know. John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're a Christian. You can know that you have faith. You can know that you have eternal life. So what is this faith, this confidence, this assurance based on? Well, it's based on three legs of a tripod, if you like, and each of them is essential. And the first one is this, the Word of God. It's based on facts and not feelings because our feelings go up and down, but the facts remain the facts. So using this analogy of marriage, if you asked me how do I know I'm married, married, I can point you to this. This is our marriage certificate, the official one, not the fancy one, which we couldn't find. (laughs) This is a document that is evidence that we are married. If you asked me how I know I'm a Christian, I would also point you to a document. I would point you to the Word of God. Some people... Sometimes people say, you know, it's fine for you. You have faith. You're lucky. But I don't have faith. As if they were saying it's kind of either you have it or you don't have it and there's nothing you can do about it. But it's it's not like that. Paul writes this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Now, maybe this is something you've already experienced. Just over the last two or three weeks, maybe, you've come here and you you hear this being explained and you think, I'm beginning to have a little bit of faith. Another way that you can do it is just by reading the Bible on your own, reading one of the Gospels. Nicky says that that's exactly what he did. He said, I read the New Testament. I didn't have any faith before. I was an atheist. But by the time I'd come to the end of the New Testament, I had experienced faith. This is a way we can kind of interact with God. God speaks through the Bible and we'll have a whole session on that subject. But you can begin to take the word of God and start to put it into practice. Let me give you an example. There's a verse which comes, a promise 
which comes towards the end of the New Testament. It's, it's pretty famous. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says this, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Holman Hunt, a pre-Raphaelite artist, illustrated this verse with a painting. In fact, he painted it three times. The most famous one hangs in St Paul's Cathedral and it's called the Light of the World. Yep, it's a pre-Raphaelite painting, lovely. And this is what this verse is saying. Imagine that your life is like a house and Jesus is knocking at the door of your life and he's saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I'd like to come into your life, into the house of your life and be part of your life. I want to come in and eat with you. Eating together is a sign of friendship. And effectively, Jesus is saying, I want to be your friend. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to be a friend of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, here I am. I'm standing at the door of your life and I would love to come in and eat with you and be a friend of you. And if you look at this painting, you see that the door is kind of overgrown with thorns and thistles. It's like the person never opened the door to Jesus and Jesus is knocking. Now, when Holman Hunt painted this painting, people said, that's a great painting. But someone said to him, look, you've actually made a mistake. Do you realise you've made a mistake? And he said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, look at the door. There's no handle. And Holman Hunt said, no, 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 that's not a mistake. There is a handle, but the handle is on the inside. In other words, Jesus is not going to force his way into your life. He stands at the door and knocks and leaves it up to you and me to decide whether we invite him in to be part of our lives. But his promise is this. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Not I might come in, not I'll think about it. You can be sure that if you invite him in, he will always be with you. He'll never leave you. And he says this relationship is not just for now, it's for eternity. That's what we looked at when we looked at the resurrection. Jesus is alive now. He can be in a relationship with you now. And that relationship goes beyond this life. It goes into eternity. So that's the first leg of the tripod, the word of God. The second leg of the tripod is the work of Jesus. It's done, not do. It's done. If you ask me how do I know I'm married, yes, I can point you to my marriage certificate. I could also point you to an event that took place at St. Matthew's Anglican Church, New Norfolk, Tasmania, on the 6th of March, 2004, when our wedding took place. Got that right. 
<laughs> uh, I, I could have actually just read it off here. <laughs> if you ask me how I know I'm a Christian, I can point you to an event in history, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes people say, well, I don't think I could be a Christian because I'm not kind of good enough. And if I was going to be a Christian, there are lots of things in my life I'd, I just kind of need to sort out first. I need to change things and so on. No, no, no. You come exactly as you are. It's not about what you do or what you can achieve. It's about what has been done for you by Jesus on the cross. That's what we were looking at last week. You receive total forgiveness and you receive it as a gift. Paul wrote this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty wary of free gifts. There always seems to be a catch somewhere. Maybe I'm just too cynical or maybe I've gotten too many emails and text messages from Nigerian princes wanting to give me millions of dollars. But I always look for the catch. Have you ever gotten the free gift offers in the mail? You know, all you have to do is sign up to whatever it is to receive your free gift, which could be a car, or it could even be $20,000. Everyone wins. But what you end up getting is a cheap and gaudy salt and pepper shaker? Yeah. Well, that's that everyone wins something. Or, or a coupon for 5% off if you spend $200. We're so suspicious. And we think, you know, God is offering this free gift. There must be a catch. There, there isn't a catch. It is free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus his life. He died for you. He died for me so that we could be forgiven and receive this gift of eternal life, this gift of a relationship with him. And we receive it through repentance and faith. Repentance sounds a really heavy word, but all it means is turning away from the bad stuff in our life, changing our mind about that stuff and saying, actually, that doesn't do us any good anyway. See, God loves us. He never asks us to give up things that are good for us. He just says, get rid of the junk, turn away from it. And sometimes people talk about the cost of being a Christian. The cost of being a Christian is nothing compared to the cost of not being a Christian. The cost of being a Christian is high for some particularly if you think about those in countries where it means particularly like eradication from all social constructs that exist in the world, in, in heavily dominated Muslim countries around the world. If you convert to Christianity, you are cut off and they actually try and kill you. It's very serious for some. But for us here in Australia... The cost of Christian is nothing compared to what it cost Jesus to make it possible for us to have this relationship with God. It's just repentance. And then faith. 
Faith is just trust. That's what it means. And everyone exercises faith. You're exercising faith right now by sitting on those chairs. You're trusting that the chair will hold you up. All the way through our life, we exercise faith. Nikki puts it like this. When I was an atheist, I was exercising faith in the fact that I believed there was no God. That was an act of faith. You can't prove it, but I based my life on it as an act of faith. Now I base my life on faith in what Jesus did on the cross for me and on him. I put my trust in him. That's the second leg of the tripod, the work of Jesus. And the third leg of the tripod is the witness of the Holy Spirit. It's him and not us. If you ask me how I know I'm married, I can point you to the marriage certificate and I can point you to an event that took place in Norfolk, but I can also point to the 17 years of marriage now and the experience of that. And if you ask me how I know I'm a Christian, I can point you to the Word of God. I can also point you now to decades of experiencing a relationship with Him. And in that verse we looked at, Revelation 3.20, where Jesus is knocking at the door of our lives. He says, if anyone opens the door, I will come in. He comes in by His Spirit. And it's the Spirit of Jesus who comes to live within you. And Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't see the wind. Has anyone ever seen the wind? No. But do you believe that the wind exists? Yes, of course. Why? Because you can see its impact. You can see what happens to the leaves. You can see the power of the wind And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people say, I don't think I'm a Christian. I haven't had any sort of really dramatic experience. They're sort of expecting that you've got to see something. You know, Jesus has got to appear in their bedroom and say, hello, I'm here. But it's not like that. I mean, it might be like that for someone, but it's not like that generally. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see his impact. And you can see the impact, for example, on your own life and on the lives of other people. Maybe there's someone here today and you say, the reason I'm here is I saw the impact on a friend's life or a member of my family. You were observing the wind, the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe even on your own life, you're beginning to see a change. Maybe something's happened to you even in the last two or three weeks. One or two of you may be saying, this has happened. Things are beginning to change. And how do we change? Well, Paul says in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, that is the things that start to change when the Spirit comes to live within us, is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of ways the Spirit changes us. Being a Christian doesn't make you better than anybody else, but hopefully it makes you better than you were before. 
Many times I've been in conversations with people where something remarkable occurs or is brought up and to make some sort of exclamation, they say, Jesus. And my reply is often, oh, do you know him too? (laughs) Nicky was at the gym when someone asked him how many people go to his church, to which he replied about 5,000 people attend on a Sunday. And his mate said, Jesus. To which Nikki replied, yeah, that's why they come. (laughs) To many people, the word Jesus means something totally different than it does to us. For most people in Australia, it's a swear word. But when I hear the word Jesus, I think that's a friend. I heard the story of a lawyer who was prosecuting a criminal law case. The defendant was accused of stealing $10,000 worth of jewellery from a fancy department store. The evidence against him was his fingerprints were from the glass cabinet around the jewels that had been taken. Now, normally if there's fingerprint evidence, people plead guilty because no two people in the entire world have the same fingerprints. Even identical twins don't have the same fingerprints. So it was pretty strong evidence. But he said, yeah, 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 they were my fingerprints. I'd been shopping with my girlfriend in that fancy department store and I may well have put my hand on that cabinet, put my fingers around on the other side and that could be how they're there. No one knew how the jury were going to decide. Every time the jury came back, sorry, every time the jury come back, they take a step of faith. They don't know. They listen to the evidence. It's a very similar analogy to what it means to be a Christian. You look at the evidence. It's not a blind leap of faith. It's a step of faith based on good evidence. They look at the evidence and they make their decision. So how was this jury going to decide? What were they going to come back with? Well, they took a step of faith and they came back and they said, guilty. At that moment, the police officer went into the witness box to testify. At that time, the jury were not allowed to know about previous convictions until the jury had reached their verdict. The police officer got into the witness box and he testified about this man's previous convictions. He had two and a half pages. He had dozens of previous convictions for stealing expensive jewellery from fancy department stores. And he was awaiting trial for two further cases of stealing jewellery from department stores. Following this, you could see the jury's faces. They went from a step of faith to they knew. That's knowledge. And as you take a step of faith, I'll give an opportunity for people in a moment to open the door and invite Jesus to come in by his spirit. As that experience begins to take place, it moves from here to here, you know, from faith to knowledge of a relationship, knowing a person. You know, another thing about the wind, you know, is, is you can see the impact of the wind. You can also feel the wind. Just do this. You can feel the wind and you can feel the Holy Spirit. Not physically feel, but you can, you can feel his love for you. Romans 8, 16 says this, The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We experience His love for us. When the kids were younger, they loved being hugged. They still do. But when they were little, they would often put up their hands straight up into the air and say, up. They wanted to be picked up and held, to be hugged. And that to me is a picture of what God wants to do for us. He wants to pick us up and hold us. To know that you are loved, to know that you are held. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have the Spirit of God living within you. That's what it means to be living in a relationship with God. Now, each week I usually end my message as I pray for us all. But today, maybe you might like to pray. And maybe in that prayer, you'd like to open that door to Jesus. You may not be ready for this, but maybe there's one person here who would like to pray. And I want to give you the opportunity to open that door to Jesus Christ. And here's a prayer that you can pray. It's a, it's a prayer saying sorry for the past, thanking Jesus for what he's done on the cross for you and inviting him to come into your life by his spirit. Just echo this in the silence of your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you love me so much. I now turn away from everything that I know is wrong, all the bad stuff. Thank you that you died so that I could be forgiven. I put my trust in you and in what you did on the cross. And now I open the door of my heart and invite you to come into my life by your spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If that's a prayer that you prayed for the first time today, then I'd love to speak with you this morning um, and encourage you and celebrate with you as well.